Buddy Pete, it is our final episode for season six. Can you believe it? I cannot believe it. I refuse to believe it. <laughs> I feel like I've said this before. <laughs> well, it's our final episode, and that leads me to one question and one question only. Mm-hmm. What have How you much do I owe you? Yes. No, actually, this is, well, in a way. Hmm. But what have you had to eat so far today? I, I can tell you, because I don't know if you know this, I'm logging my food right now. I have I had a snack-sized perfect bar chocolate chip flavor. Huh? I have had two cups of black coffee with Califia Farms plant-based vanilla creamer. I have had a uh, sandwich on whole uh-huh. grain bread with red onion, lettuce, romaine lettuce, uh, and two eggs, and a fried egg sandwich. Huh. And, and I am now eating dessert in a cup, gingerbread spice tea, with uh. just... Just a pinch of stevia. It is the fall season. I get it. Tis, do you tis. do you do you drink it with both hands? Do you cup I do. Your cup? I yeah, do. And you, you put to. your thumb. You put your thumb yeah. through one hole, and then you just you just love the heat transferring. You don't even have to drink, but it really is classic. I'm not wearing my flannel, but I do have a fleece blanket in reach. That's great. Yeah. Well, there's so only this, one thing that maybe I would going? add to your coffee or okay. your dessert in a cup. Kahlua. I, Nope, an enormous ham slab. (laughs) Pete, a systematic review of research, otherwise known as a meta-analysis, released last month, so just last month, examined the connection between those old dicks, anxiety and depression, and meat consumption. And Pete, guess what they found out? Sorry, vegans! makes it better. Yes, a study concluded that individuals who consumed meat having lower average depression and anxiety levels than from meat abstainers. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no, says every animal ever. While the scientists involved warned about making overly uh, casual relationships between eating meat and Phobos, the god of yikes, they said that a small but significant correlation between eating meat leads to a lower level of anxiety. What does this mean, Pete? I thought we were supposed to like not eat meat, and I thought that's the way that we were going. But it is because I think it goes back to uh, to Neolithic, uh, yeah, age where we had to hunt and kill with our hands, and that the it is anxiety inducing having to go hunt for your food, Uh right? It it gives you stress, but the release, the dopamine release, when you have satisfactorily killed and consumed meat is oh. an anxiety reducer. That's what I, I that's see. what I think it is. We are it is the Phobos god of yikes is actually being is way back is is, cavemen, is the way back machine. Cave yeah. back cavemen known for being so chill. Really really <laughs> the chill. Chillest of After, us. Yeah. And you know they do this and we know this now they eat uh some sort of a thing like a goat or a I don't know, Yeti or something. And then they yep. sleep pile and they sleep pile. They climb that's into right, a pile by the fire and they get not by the fire. And that is a chill experience. And I think that's what we're saying is that meat eaters sleep pile. And that's, oh, that's what's missing from vegans. They are isolationist eaters. Interesting. Okay. So, well, as I mentioned, this is the last episode for this season. So uh, we still have a whole episode to do, but, you know, maybe during the break, everybody, Sleep in a pile and <laughs> go punch a cow in the face. Let's do this. <laughs> well, 
Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And each and every week, we drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out, because now is the time. We're going into hoarding mode right now, because we're taking a little break. We're taking a wee break before 2022, when we come back with a season seven. We are coming back with a season seven. We've... We've... We're coming yes. back with a season. Yes, we, we are yeah. coming back with a two, yeah. season seven, and uh, well, now we are. now's the time. <laughs> now's the time where I need your anxieties, and I need double of them now because uh, Tom may or may not be present, and <laughs> that's a joke. He will be present, and then uh, you send us your anxieties at whatsatsmell.net, and once you do that, then we have them, and we will have fodder for a whole new season of What's That Smell, season seven. Uh, it, the Giving Never Stops is going to be what it's called. Mm-hmm. Season seven, The Giving Never Stops. Mm-hmm. Never stops, never stopping. And with that, I'll go first. Uh, hi, Tom. Peter, hello. Hi, it's Pete. Um, oh, great. Look. <laughs> That was not a. I didn't mean to make you feel bad. Oh, I, you can call me you whatever you want. Yeah, I okay, know great. you did. I was making a joke like I was on the line. It's okay. Look, okay. I have to ask you something. Um, have do you have uh any tattoos? No, no. I don't know why I said it like that, but no, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I think I don't think I've ever had the courage to do that. Okay. Uh, good. Moving on. Um. Do you, um, have you ever had anyone in your life claim that they are a god and that they would like to rule over humanity by your side? (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Really? No, not at all. (laughs) Wait. Hmm. Of the two, that one surprises me a little bit. Um, Okay. Okay. How about this? Um, (laughs) Have you ever had anyone break into your home and uh, spray paint uh, voodoo? Uh, prayers on your walls. No, no. How is this possibly going to reconcile into something? <laughs> no, it's 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 really, it's wow. really really crazy. Um, and you've never had anybody pull you down from the stage at a young storytellers event uh, and touch your body all over. No, <laughs> no, nope. nope. Um, and how about um, have you ever had anybody tweet a picture? of a chihuahua dog being held by its neck by a fan of yours. And then after you not responding, have you had them tweet another photo of the head of that same dog because you didn't respond? Uh, A chihuahua? No. (laughs) No, no, none of that. None of that applies. You mean the head no longer connected? Yeah, the dog is dead. The dog is dead. This is pretty. It got dark. Oh, it got dark really, really fast. Yeah, yeah. No, none uh, of those are a Tom Metz jab. <laughs> and I mean my father. <laughs> uh, and so nobody's posted uh, naked pictures of themselves in your honor. None of that stuff. Uh, we're just, just just to check all the list. Okay. Nothing. Uh, well, that's interesting. Because is it? that means that confirms a couple of things for me. Actually, six things. It confirms you are not Rihanna, Justin Timberlake, Chris Brown, Beyonce, One Direction, oh. or the Bieber. Oh, because what? oh, those man. are things that have happened to each of those artists by their hardest core fans. Oof! Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Gross. Yeah. You want to know about the dog? You want to know about the dog one though, don't you? 
No. That was, so those, that, was that's, that was One Direction. A fan said, I love you, with a picture of their dog. And when the band didn't respond, cut the dog's head off and said, my dog has just died. I love you. Follow me. My dog has just died. Okay. So that's just, that's just, that's not even a fan. That's just an addict. That like is a fanatic. Gross. It's gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just an addict. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay, uh, yeah. Gross. Chris Brown had the voodoo stuff. Uh, somebody broke into his house and wrote voodoo graffiti all over his daughter's room. Oh. Um, uh, Justin Timberlake uh, is the one who had the fan claim that she was God and that she and Justin were destined to rule the world together. And uh, Rihanna has a super fan who has 14 tattoos dedicated to, quote, the Queen of Barbados. Uh, and it helps her weed out potential relationships because she's only interested in men who are Rihanna fans anyway. Wow. So, okay. This is the extent to which fans, the hardest core fans, go to support their bands. And now I turn to you, Tom. Do you oh, have any relationships with a band in your life to which you would go to what others might say are extremes? I don't think so, except I did at one point, think about sneaking out of my house. Oh, wait, I'm about to out myself You're in about so to many out ways. Yourself. Yeah, this is going to be I great. I was going to sneak out of my house and somehow sneak into a 21 and over only concert that I knew that my parents wouldn't allow me to because it was 21 and over. And yeah. I, without, and I got really close, but without having, I didn't know how to sneak out of my house. I didn't know how to sneak, sneak <laughs> wait, I didn't know minute, how to wait sneak a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. into a venue. And I didn't know how to get down <laughs> to Denver. I lived in Boulder. I didn't know how to get into Denver in order to get there. But I was like, <laughs> I was so excited about it. So that's like my version of going above and beyond, even just thinking about it and making plans and then realizing I don't even know how to sneak out of my house. <laughs> you made me choke on my tongue a little bit there. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. I got really close, but I didn't yeah. know how to sneak out of my house. Is the definition of not getting close to anything <laughs> related to a concert. <laughs> this is close for me. <laughs> so I got sad. really close in that I thought about it for a few seconds yeah. <laughs> and then realized I was about to fail. Right. <laughs> yeah. That is, no, I, I, so, oh man, it goes in so many different directions. I kind of now only want to hear about uh, episodes of you trying to sneak out of your house and failing because that seems like a delightful line of inquiry. I'm going to pass. I got yeah. very good at sneaking out of my house later, or did I, mom? But I was only sneaking out <laughs> for Bible study. Okay, let's go. <laughs> uh, do Talk to me about your favorite uh, your favorite bands, though. What is your relationship with your very favorite bands? How would you classify that? Do you want to know who the concert was that I wanted to sneak out that I knew that my parents wouldn't let me go see? Wait, um, wait, wait a minute. Do you have a guess? Well, of course, I want to try and guess. Of course, of course, of course, of course. Uh, I can well, tell you the I, name knowing... of the the tour if that helps. Wait, was it George Michael? Y yes. What? How do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> have I told you about my love for George Michael? And we I might must know have a, talked about I that. Might, I might know a thing or two about your love for George Michael. That was pretty yeah, good, was though. Pretty the, good. That was yeah. incredibly... Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, if people could see our video live stream, my face was like, <laughs> why are you behind me right now? It was the George Michael cover-to-cover -to -cover tour. He was just doing oh, covers. Yeah. That's when he was, like, doing all the... Because my first album that I ever bought with my own money was Faith. Yeah. Um, and Good the album. second album that I ever bought with my own money was a second copy of Faith. And said I lost it in case I lost the goddamn first one. Um, no, I've always thought that George Michael was outstanding. 
and I was was a super fan later, like when everyone else dropped off after Listen Without Prejudice, his later ones star people older, like I kept on the train. Nice. Yeah. And that brings up, it's, yeah, I mean, we lost him, obviously, and so. We did, yeah. Yeah. No, mine mine would be Prince, and um, I would say. that would be my second. There you go. Oh, it's big. It's yeah. big. I've seen him multiple times, different venues around mm-hmm. the world, have successfully snuck out of my house to see him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wait, did you really? Or were you an adult when you were? Did you ever? I was, did you I was ever 20, sneak out? I was 25 and didn't tell my roommate. No, I, no, <laughs> I didn't. No, I did successfully get up, get up. To, and I used to spend my weekends going up to, do you remember Wax Tracks in Boulder or in Denver? The no. vintage vintage record store wax track. I don't think so. And we used to go. We, I used to collect the, the like. They had the greatest. Like I don't know what sort of of you know BMG border mule they had, but they were constantly <laughs> getting amazing vintage like uh, really? classic like bootleg vinyl and. Um, eventually CDs. Oh God, old. Um, mm. And so I had like, I mean, I had, I had my favorite one was actually not even a music album. It was an interview that had been uh, cut into a, a vinyl, a 45 vinyl, but cut out of a, a full size LP. And it okay. had been milled in the shape of Prince's silhouette. So the album wow, was wait. the shape of Prince. Can How would a record player play that? Well, because the whole size of the cutout was the full size of the LP, but the only playable part was this little circle right in the middle. So the interview oh. was only like 15 minutes long. I it was very see. short. Yeah. But you could see, so you could see the whole cutout. It was classic and amazing. And it breaks my heart <laughs> that when I got, I stopped listening to records and I foolishly, yeah. I, I traded away my entire collection to, uh, to DC Barnes. DC who, has who, all my stuff. Do I know who that mine. is? Yeah, it's friend. Sounds he like was a in, DC he, he was in, uh, he, I grew up with him. He was in, he was a, uh, he was in the Star Wars, J.J. Abrams uh, Star Wars movie. He was an extra oh, in the little wow. cantina okay. thing. Yeah. So he is a superhero. He I a superhero. had, yeah. I was able to get a very rare copy of the Black Album back when the Black oh, Album yeah. by Prince yep. was impossible to find. Yeah. I got it at the version of a Wax Tracks kind of place. I think it was Amoeba Records out here, maybe, and I had that for a long time. And then at some point, yeah, I got rid of CDs knowing that that'll be around forever and I can't find it. Yeah. And I'm very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Bumps me out. I did have, I had a limited edition Bat Can. <laughs> Do you remember, you know what I'm talking about? It was the uh, Batman Prince soundtrack. Yep. That was actually in a pressed steel can. And it was wow. round. You got a can. It was like a thick can. You open it up and the liner notes were all in a circle with the big bat logo on it. Oh. And it was very limited edition bat That's can. Cool. Okay. And I just like saying bat can over and anyway, yeah. <laughs> all of this music history is to say that there are people who feel feel very, very strongly about their bands. And mm-hmm. when those bands break up or when those artists have uh, meet with, um, you know, in our case, uh, both of our cases, uh, drug-induced ends, yeah. uh, it can be very, very sad. And when you're talking about now people who uh, are breaking into their fans' houses and painting voodoo on their walls or getting their 14th tattoo dedicated to their favorite artist, that can be heartbreaking. And I oh, it's remember, like a relationship. yeah, yeah. And, and I remember so viscerally the experience of hearing about Prince breaking up the revolution because the revolution uh, was my brand of Prince. Like that right. was, okay. that was so it for me, right? That was like my heart and soul were in that music, right? And so when, 
you know, the NPG came along, I felt I felt such grief because I still loved Prince. Right. But, but it wasn't your favorite. He got divorced. It, it wasn't Wendy and Lisa. And it wasn't like it was like the whole Dr. Package. Dr. Face mask. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. I don't, Dr. I'm not Dr. a revolution Fink. person. We call him Dr. Fink. Yeah. But my, yeah. I was a new power generation person. So I know that whole group upwards and downwards. But I'm a well, real. and it. Yeah, yeah, well, you know what I'm saying. Like, it, it is, 100%. like, I'm a big fan. Seven is great. It's a great song. Okay, yes. so I'll give you that. Um, anyway, there, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I celebrate the whole collection, but, but that's the first part of, of the relationship. When that relationship broke up, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't trust anything. And so I started oh. thinking about this because I was watching, uh, I was watching a CBS Sunday morning program and they were doing ABBA. Uh, they were okay. doing a thing on ABBA. You know, the band ABBA. Yep. Swedish Mamma Mia. Meg, mega band. Mega mega again. band. Are you a fan? Are you are you a fan of I don't think I know them enough to know I probably am. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I tried to watch Mamma Mia the movie and I couldn't get through yeah. it. But I don't know if yeah. that's a good sign. Well, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of ABBA and I I it, but it strikes me that they have been not a band for a long time and they now have are announcing a brand new album. ABBA, the elderly really? now septuagenarian band, have wow. a new album of new music, not just, you know, another greatest hits album. And to celebrate the release, they have actually spent a, a, a ton of money and uh, a, a just an obscene amount of technology, blood, mm-hmm. sweat and tears to put them all of the elder, the elder group of uh, ABBA into motion capture suits with the little ping pong balls on them. and they are going to do a live concert of holograms of the elder versions of themselves, but their holographic projections will be the young Abba on stage. Wait, what? If you go to that concert, you're hearing old people sing, but they look like they used to look like? Who asked that? (laughs) It's the strangest thing I've ever... Weird. Yeah. I think they should have spent that money on like a rope and pulley system and just like hang the old people and make their own. Marionette style. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I started thinking, what if I was a major fan of them? What if I've already gotten over that grief and they are coming back and they start doing this thing? Like who like to your question, who asked for that? Anyway, I started looking into this. There is no real anxiety like term related to this. But when you start looking at fan reactions to their favorite brands or favorite bands breaking into pieces, it really does line up with uh, the stages of grief that you go through with a serious per- interpersonal relationship breakup. A fan has the same sort of chemical bonding to the band that they do to us to a significant other to an individual partner in their relationship yes so a breakup a fan relationship breakup of a band goes through all of those stages and can go into that state of madness where you just can't trust anything anymore and at a certain age that can be deeply impactful deeply impactful to those people and that gets you to the stage where you where you just you feel like you you can't trust your other most powerful relationships if this could happen then anything is possible in my life then nothing matters in my life and uh and so you you start huh. really looking at the stages of of a breakup and it turns out there are a lot of them a lot of stages are 13 did you know that did you know there's 13 stages of a breakup 
Oh, no, I only know Dabda. We've talked about it on there. This is from the the uh, the book, the good book, right? The 12 Steps. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, maybe. I'm, okay. Dabda What's yours? Is, is when you, um, it's uh, denial, mm-hmm. anger, bargaining, deli meats. <laughs> I don't remember what the Dabda, I think, I think, um, <laughs> depression and then acceptance. Those are the stages of grief, of loss. <laughs> the D is for deli meats is actually silent in there, yeah. but it's there. Okay. It's yeah. everybody needs a good prosciutto in their, yeah. in their <laughs> grieving process. No, 13 stages. This comes according to Suzanne Lachman, licensed clinical psychologist, who's talking about the overwhelming pain in, of experiencing uh, a, a, a fan-level breakup. It starts with shock. You're shocked that it could even happen. You go through great pain, great personal pain. And when you look at the throngs of fans of Justin Bieber, with the throngs of fans of One Direction when they broke up, like the whole mm. experience is, and and don't forget the K-pop bands. Like there are right. massive international fans over, and and you start to be incredibly suspicious when you see one of the members of Blackpink, for example, doing a solo album. Then Ooh, suddenly you Blackpink. can't trust anything, and you're on edge all the time. Uh, so you can go through that pain. Uh, you go through the stages of confusion. Uh, and initially, you remain driven to understand what happened at any cost. Uh, the drive to know is consuming and can come at the expense of all rational thought and behavior. You must understand why this breakup happened, maybe beyond anyone's ability to explain it. You fixate on things that the band says or said at different times in their career that you have cataloged in your experience of being a fan. And then you start testing whether those things contradict their stated reasons for breaking up. And that causes conflict in your head and your heart. Uh, And then, of course, denial. Maybe they'll get back together. Sure. It maybe that's just this. Maybe it's just yeah. you know. Maybe it's just temporary. Uh, so uh, reflection uh, is the next step after that. Reflection uh, where you have to start thinking about your own relationship with your mm-hmm. fandom, and and maybe maybe you could find another thing to really love a lot in your life mm-hmm. uh, as you look inside yourself. But don't forget that bounces right back to madness, Tom. Madness, madness, madness. We're still using that word. Yes. Yeah, madness. They call it dead. Bonkers. This is Eddie. That's Eddie what the Cor- B stands for. Madness. Bonkers. <laughs> Bonkers. Eddie yeah. Corbano is a is a therapist and and expert in the field of breakup recovery, and says this particular relationship. First, you really, really want them back together, right? You mm-hmm. really want them back together, and you start rearranging the world in order to frame a future in which they are back together. You start living your life as if you have undone all the things that led to their breakup in order to fix them going mm. forward. And uh, madness is, uh, is, as he says, stupid and inexplicable, but you are starting to accept that the band is not together as a result of going through and achieving the other side of Got this it. stage. Uh, and finally, uh, anger. Uh, and uh, anger and rage is all, obviously you have to go through the anger phase, but then you go into what he calls autopilot. Uh, You start feeling numbness Mm -hmm. and you have to know there are 13, we're at stage eight, 13 stages. What? We're only at stage eight. Okay. Uh, Numbness is autopilot. Acceptance is uh, when you, when you finally realize this is the truth, this is the way the world has rewritten itself around me and my fandom is a way to celebrate. I'm going to have to be able to celebrate the catalog that has passed because I'm never going to get a catalog in the future. And then grieving, uh, where you actually get to be sad about that new reality, recognition that you are over that, taking responsibility. You are now, we're at stage 12, stage 12, taking responsibility 
of your own future fandoms and letting go, realizing that your emotional attachment to the property is no longer serving you in your future. So that's a lot. Dabda, yours was Yeah, that is quite an acronym to try to remember. That's quite an acronym. And you know what that um really what it seemed to have a lot akin to, and this is I don't know from personal experience, but in addition to a breakup, it sounds a lot like a divorce. Yes. That that's yeah. what you because but and one of the differences well, cause no, because I was like, oh, the difference is you don't have any say in it. You didn't do anything. Yes. But in that and list. No, yeah, no control. No but control. No control. But in that list, you still had that thing of like, maybe it's somehow my fault if there's something yeah. that I can go back and change. That's I um am lucky to have not gone too far down a road like that. Yeah. Um I was very the year because you know we lost Prince and George Michael in the same year. Yeah, I know. Um and that was that's the roughest that I've had it artist-wise. And the yeah. biggest thing that I remember feeling is regret of, well, A, not sneaking out of my house that one time, but then B, <laughs> I had, I got to see Prince multiple times, but I had more chances, especially when he did that residency right. out here, when he was out here for like weeks or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. I only went like once. And so the fact that he regret. was all of a sudden was gone was like, oh, I'm never going to be able to do that again. That should have been a step. How did they how did they come up with 13 steps and not forget regret? regret. (laughs) All right. Bonus step. Uh, I I, absolutely. I mean, I I really relate to that, to that experience of like feeling like I I could have should have done more. Maybe if only I bought more tickets. Yeah. Oh, that's such a shame. I never did. He didn't really tour that much once it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a real shame. I so it, to get us, you know, back on the the road of anxiety. The thing that I really yeah. land on here is when your world is shaken by something like this, you lose the sense of trust in other things. You realize the sense of impermanence That's, I never in anything of that. you love, right? right? And that that is a terrifying thing. I remember when Steve Jobs passed away, and we all knew kind of he was going. But I had I had one of those like like Steve Jobs and his best friend are kind of the two fingers crossed and I'm like the pinky adjacent, <laughs> you know, because I did that I did that commercial, right? You know, I did that Apple yeah. commercial and and there was one the the VP of marketing at the time um Do you want to explain I, it was a talking head commercial white yeah. background. A lot of people might remember this. You were just talking about how you switched to Mac and you would never go back and you're a Mac guy. You can look it up on the internet. You can. It's on the internet. And so, yeah. the, the but the whole thing about that, when he died, I reflected back on this this piece. And I, I'd written this essay the day he died, and it was called, um, or it was the week he died. And I, it was called, like, Steve Chose Me, right? Because this was back in the day when he was had a very, very active role in every bit of communication that left the left Apple. And I was such oh. a fan of the products that it 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 hit me, like, in my heart that this guy that I was such a fan of watched something that I did and out of thousands of submissions said, I want this guy. I want this guy to be on the homepage of our website. I want this guy to be like, that was a degree, like the six degrees. It was like one degree, you know, I never met him myself, but, um, you know, but I, it, it was one of those things that was, that was incredible to, to just lose Steve Jobs because of my fandom of him right. as a technologist and a thinker. And that 
I, I think that causes me to hold my fandom at at arm's reach for others today. Oh, because you I don't want to be too vulnerable. Because I don't want to be burned. Yeah. Right. Bottom line, the lesson is, you know, for for me, is to remember that 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 chemical connection, uh, the things that that these fan relationships conjure up in me and in others with their relationships are akin to a significant other. And when they are broken, it's okay to treat them as such. It's okay to let yourself be be you know hurt a little bit and vulnerable, and to realize that this is this is a lesson of living as a human organism. This is what right. we get. This is what we get for for showing up. And if it didn't hurt, it wouldn't be worth it. Mm. Do you have, I know that you said that you're keeping it at arm's length, but do you know of other artists that when they pass away or if they were to break up that you'd start to get that old horrible feeling again? Other than the spin doctors? <laughs> I, assume, <laughs> I assume they're the number one on your list. <laughs> Part of the challenge that I have is in terms of building these relationships with with bands that aren't <laughs> Prince is that I came to them after they'd already broken up. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I never sure. got to see as many of them, you know, as many of them live as I would have. Like, I, you know, Fleetwood Mac was a mess, but I fell in love with Fleetwood Mac long after, like, they were already a mess. You know, yeah. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, like, they they were a disaster. The Eagles were a disaster. Like, those were the bands of my youth, like Journey and Foreigner, and, you know, I, I they were already kind of messed up when I came to them, so I never, I never saw Mom and Dad not fighting. I just heard the music, you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. I don't think I'll ever get back the gift of having that pure fandom that I had in my youth. I will never get that back because I think I'm just a little bit too jaded. Well, I was thinking about filmmakers, right? Like filmmakers oh. that I would feel like I would, I, I'm a fan enough of folks like Chris Nolan and... Um, David Fincher, Paul Thomas Anderson for me. Yeah. And Errol, David Fincher, Paul Tim, oh yeah, troll, troll, totally. Errol Morris, because Errol Morris, because I know him, he actually shot the commercial that I did for Apple. So I got a chance to like hang out with him and and spend a little time with Errol Morris. That was a lot of fun. So, you know. But going back to music, I have one that I want to admit because I want to make myself as vulnerable as possible. Oh, as I, uh, This is one that when other- Is it Bananarama? It is not Bananarama, but it might as well be <laughs> Bananarama, Pete. <laughs> When when I had friends listening to like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and stuff, I to this day unironically really enjoy this guy's music. And I think this will be a weird one because when he passes, a lot of people will probably make a bunch of jokes. And I like legitimately think he was always incredibly talented and I loved his album. Do you want to know what it is, Pete? <laughs> So I don't know. Is it going to change? Is it going to change our relationship? Me knowing this, it might. But I, <laughs> but we have to we have to be honest about things. Yeah. Um. I have an unironic love for the music, and I have of Rick Astley. <laughs> and I'm not joking. Rick Astley of Rick Rolling fame. Yeah. I think his uh, voice is outstanding. Some of his later music. Uh, like stay, and he has one called "Cry for Help," which is like legitimately good. <laughs> and yeah, I think when he passes away, if I'm still of this earth, uh, that will be like a, a weird, rough one. When I'll be depressed, and the rest of the world will be making jokes. And I just wanted to make sure to say that on a podcast, <laughs> as I continue to use this podcast to be as undateable as possible. <laughs> 
just I'm trying to imagine. Like, what other podcast would you tune in and hear? I really like Rick Astley, Rick but Astley. I truly celebrate his later work. <laughs> I know. I'm so undated. What's the opposite of Tinder? That's what I'm making this podcast. <laughs> I'm making this podcast like a wet washcloth. <laughs> That's what this podcast is for me. In the 11th century, Arab scholar Al-Hajjan described a working model of a device that played with light. It was made up of a dark box or room completely enclosed with just a tiny pinhole drilled in one side. When bright light passed through this hole, a blurry image of the outside world would show on the inside of the opposite wall of the box. This was the camera obscura or dark chamber. And it had existed long before the 11th century. Aristotle referenced it. But after Alhajan described it, the thing blew up. The camera obscura became the go-to tool for documenting images. Variations of it were used by artists in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance in landscapes and portraiture. Astronomers used it to protect their eyes when looking skyward. Inventors continued to improve on the tool as a means to capture and protect memories of images and experiences. In 1837, Louis de Gur discovered that when iodized silver plates were exposed to light, he could develop an image from it using mercury fumes. This was a big improvement over the hand-traced images of the camera obscura, and daguerreotype found a home in a booming portrait industry in the U.S. But British inventor William Henry Fox Talbot wouldn't be outdone. In 1841, he came up with a process that improved on daguerreotype in a crucial way. Unlike the work of Daguerre, whose plate could only be used to produce a single image, Talbot's calotype would produce image after image after image from a single plate. This, as it turns out, would become the foundation of modern photography. But what about the wet colloidian process, you ask? And don't forget the great run on dry plates of 1871, Pete. And how could you leave out flexible roll film and autochrome and the Canon 5D Mark II? I know, I know, you're right. All of these are foundational to the evolution of the capture of images. And each has contributed powerfully in helping us to cement our memories in the bedrock of time. But why should you have to do all that work? Not when we've already done the work for you. It's the final episode of the main season of What's That Smell? The sometimes funny anxiety podcast. And we know you've worked hard to take notes and draw tiny pictures to trigger your own memory of the powerful lessons of each episode. But you shouldn't have to do all that. We've already saved your memories as a podcast. And thanks to the support of the What's That Smell Panic Pals, you can jump back in time and relive each episode anytime you want. What's more, if you decide to become a Panic Pal yourself, you can watch the live streams of every episode this season, and you'll soon be the recipient of a fine envelope of promise, stickers, coupons, and a love letter of friendship from us. Finally, we are going into overtime for season six with new episodes coming someday soon-ish. Alas, those are only for Panic Pals. So visit whatsthatsmell.net today and pledge your support for the season you just heard. Get those live streams 
and send a message that you're in for us to keep doing this ridiculous thing for another season, early 2022. My God, I just said 2022. Pete, I have a tale to tell you this week. You want to guess what kind of tale it is? A spooky story. It is harrowing. And in harrowing. All of this, God. Yeah, you, it's really the I, one word I've holy, used every single episode. Holy biffed it. Yeah, I got the mood. Yeah. But wow. Okay. It is harrowing. And in honor of our this being our last ep for this season, I thought we'd act out this scene together unprecedented. Oh so God. I have sent you a script. But before we start the script, uh, I want to set the scene. Uh, This happened two weeks ago in Scout's Honor. It is all true. So I was walking Puppy King Foster on his night walk in the park across the street from my apartment. It was dusk, so there was light in the sky, but it was very hard to make out any, like, facial features. This will be important later. And I heard this kind of buzzing sound, and then I saw a mid-sized drone flying around 30 yards away, all lit up with cool colors. And I think drones are cool because I'm single. And so I walked over... And watched for a second. And I had the following brief exchange with the guy who was operating the drone. Now, remember, I couldn't see his face uh, because we were it was too dark, but I'd put him by his voice around late 20s, early 30s. I will be playing the drone guy in this script that I just sent you. You will be playing me. Foster. Oh, you, you will be okay. playing me. And okay. if you, you if you want to use a horrible accent to <laughs> try to be me, I won't take it personally. Okay, here we go. Okay. All right. The horrible accent. <clears throat> and I'll do the oh, I'll you. do the action reading too. Okay. Exterior. Right. Park. Dusk. Hey. Oh no, that's you. Okay. You're me. Yeah, it says it's your name, but again, I'm you. That, so I know. And also go, go. you wrote it. So okay. okay. So you you just walked up to drone guy. Yeah. Go for it. Hey, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> You're what? That's gonna be that's me? I don't sound like that at all. <laughs> okay, I'll let you go. I'll let you do okay, it. Okay. Okay, I'll let you go. Okay, okay. I've got it. I think I've got it in my I think I've got it in my head. Hey, that's really cool. Yeah. I love how it lights up. Yeah? Watch this, bro. The drone's lights start blinking, and the drone itself does a quick flip in the air. Very cool. The drone then starts another flip and then hits the ground, coming to a stop. <laughs> Damn it. Bro, the controls are crappy. That usually never happens. Uh, I, I think it's really cool. Okay, have a good night. My doc and I start walking away. The guy picks the drone up and launches it again. I think they gave me broken controls. I look back and he tries the same trick and the drone immediately crashes into the grass again. <laughs> I immediately look away to help him save face. The battery life isn't great. Thanks. Have a good night. This only ever happens at night. (laughs) And that man is never seen or heard from again. The end. Okay. So not like a hugely (laughs) memorable experience, but I have not been able to stop thinking about that. For one big reason. Do you want to guess why? Or I don't know why everything well, has to be a game. I don't. I don't know if this is. I don't know if this is kind of where you're going. But I, can I tell you where I started having anxiety? Sure. When he's calling after you, perseverating <laughs> on this uh, this whole thing, where he's like, suddenly you have somebody who is a stranger, and they want to prove something to you, and you don't want to be proven to. 
I love it. And that's exactly right. He seemed to need my acceptance and reassurance yeah. so much. And why I set the scene about being dark, he can't pick me out of a crowd. I'm never going to see this man again. Or he could yeah. live in my apartment and I wouldn't know. We were strangers. Uh, but he needed to come up with so many excuses. And his pride, it only happens at night. What does that mean? His pride seemed so wounded from such a dumb thing that it made my heart hurt. I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't trying to. I, But I mean, as I did include in the script, I looked away when I saw that it had fallen again to help him save face. Yeah. And then what was embarrassment turned into chest puffing. He kept calling me bro. So, Pete, um, I want to be honest. I'm kind of going to be chasing this one like a hound because it's a little bit weird. But I'd like to talk all about. All right, bro. All right. <laughs> Gross. I'd like to just a drone appears and your dog's flying it. Um, <laughs> I'd like to talk about male vulnerability and how oh, there just wow. really doesn't seem to be a lot of room for it in society. And I want to make it very clear that I'm not saying boo-hoo, men are the real victims here. Men are the worst. And over and over, I've said all we're good at is knocking things over with our penises. But <laughs> what I'm saying, there seems to be such a need for vulnerability and so many men don't know where to put it or how to let it exist. And that's when I saw that, that's what I sort of saw in Park Bro that night. And I haven't been able to think about it. Are you uncomfortable with this topic? Or? Well, let's just, let's just say out loud that I just spent 40 minutes telling you how I'm a jaded middle-aged man who is afraid of, like, loving bands because Prince broke up. And I just so, outed myself as an Astley face. As an Astley face. Right. <laughs> I no, I I think this is absolutely true, and I think I don't know if you remember back to our the very first conversation we had about this podcast about why do you remember why I wanted to have this to do this podcast? Uh, no, I remember where the title came from, but I don't remember exactly. I remember you were in a crowd of a podcasting concert of, of, of PodCon, a PodCon. podcasting concert. I don't. That, know. <laughs> what are we doing right now? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. But just what what remind me yeah no because i called i immediately as i was listening to to my brother my brother and me have that conversation and talking about the their the whole experience at that show was an experience of men being like op openly vulnerable about the things that cause them grief and struggle and i thought there is just nobody i would rather have conversations like this with week over week over week than uh, than you. And so I called you right after I called three other friends who said no. Yeah, and, that's what I assumed. <laughs> yeah. It was a short and, list, but still. And and we started the podcast. But it was but that I I just could not agree with you more about about this in general is is a thing that is hard. And so yeah, I'm I poor Park Bro. Like if poor only Park he bro. Knew. Yeah, I mean, and I don't yeah, I don't put us in a category, of course, as Having trouble being vulnerable. This whole podcast is, as I've already we just are the we're, we're the Brene Brown of dumb white men <laughs> exactly, <laughs> being vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah, we're the Brene White, um, <laughs> and and I just yeah I wanted to because you know I don't want to be um, overly cliched or whatever the word is, uh, but it doesn't seem to be as much of an issue for women to open up to other women as it is for men opening up to right. other men. I had another case in point 
Uh, about 10 years ago, I was in a focus group. This is back when I was in a demographic that people gave an S about. <laughs> Cared about. I was in yeah. a focus group for something called Coke Life. I think it did end up coming out. It was the big coming out of like stevia, like an all natural sugar. So it had some calories and, but it was all like very about nature. And I think if you finished it and like buried the can, a tree would grow. I don't remember exactly, <laughs> but it was called Coke Life. And it was all- From the Coca-Cola company? Like- 100%. Hundred percent. Okay. It was a, it was a soda pop. Yes. Um, oh, it was soda a soda. Pop. All right. Yeah, soda I probably pop. should that have was, started yeah. there. Instead, I was talking just about demonstrating trees. that nobody cares about your thinking anymore. It's a soda pop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was a soda. Um, anyways, <laughs> why I bring it up is the group was all men and the of different ages, um, and we were there for probably about forty five minutes. You know, you stand, you try it, and you say it makes me feel like you know excitement in my head, and then they give you money. After about 20 minutes, I'll never forget this, two different men were teary-eyed, talking about problems they were having in their marriages. And this had happened to me before in focus groups with men that people would just sort of like, they'd talk about their problems they were having in work. It became a support group. And this was legit about Coke life. But it was forcing us men to be in a room to relate to each other. And wow. to really listen, and there's no me, me, you're not showing off or anything because you're there. We all know that we're tr- trying to desperately get $45 to drink pop. Um, mm-hmm. So none of us are doing great. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember I couldn't find it. I really, really tried, but there was an episode of Mad Men when this situation happened. There was a support group and people started crying in it. And I think it was Donald Draper saying this happens all the time because it's a break from real life. I think for some reason it's a forcing you or an, I shouldn't say forcing, it's allowing you to drop the veneer and look inward you, and look inward. And I think maybe, especially with men, maybe I shouldn't keep perseverating on that, but the idea of that like I call myself a haunted house, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of vulnerability that just has nowhere to go in general society. And I just find that very, I find that very, very sad. Yeah, because you you have those elements. It's like like you have those in the the environment that is created in those focus groups. It's like a, it's like a grounding wire. Mm. Oh, what's that mean? I like that idea. You know, when you, when you grab an electric fence, Let's just yep. say you were grabbing an electrified fence. You'd sure. always want to be holding someone else's hand. <laughs> right? you, want the, you want those motions to come through you right. uh, and end and at somebody else's other hand. Uh, and so in this case, you think, uh, okay, if I'm going to feel the emotion, suddenly I've, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. You're asking me to look inward at how I live my life in a way that uh. I don't do every day. And when the, you know, when the armored skin comes down, uh, and, and I realize who, who's, who you're really looking at, it's terrifying for any number of reasons. It is terrifying. Cause we're uh, just totally too busy not doing that, not yeah. spending that time or actively avoiding it. And of course, um, I remember one of the first times that my father told me not to cry. That boys oh, don't talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't remember the exact time. <laughs> I mean, I, I know I just said the exact opposite. You did. You but did. I, re- yeah. I know that feeling of, yeah. I believe it involved me falling off my bike. And there was just not a, um, and he's a very vulnerable person and can, is a wonderful guy. But uh, there was a little bit of, there was always like, talk like a big boy. Do this. 
boys don't cry kind of little stuff underneath things because that's how he was brought up. And so I get it. And do you remember the first time you ever saw your dad cry? I do. I absolutely remember. And isn't that interesting that that's burned in my memory? And that's an example of why. Yes, it was, we lost an uncle um, and he found out and I walked in and he was crying on the couch holding a picture of the person. And that is burned. And this was our old house in, on Talisman Drive in Vienna, Virginia. This is so long ago. And yet I remember the lighting. So yeah, yeah, that's, I'm really glad that you brought that up because that shows even though I call myself such an nasty face that I'm very vulnerable, it's still, yeah, I have that burned into me. And I think that's yeah. just a part of growing up male. And that's the, that's the thing that needs to get out there. I know I'm sort of stating the obvious, but I just want to say it out loud, is vulnerability needs to be separated from being feminine or effeminate. Those are not yes. the same things. And being feminine or feminine is also not bad, but I'm just saying being vulnerable doesn't mean being feminine or feminine. Uh, vulnerability doesn't mean weakness. Yeah, because, I mean, you just said it. Like, it doesn't, a feminine or effeminate, that's, that's, not, that's not even how I hear it. I hear it as the right. derogatory use of girly, which is oh, so, sure. like, so damaging on so many levels. Like, being vulnerable is not gendered. Right? Right. It is agendered. It is, there is no gender associated with it. If we're doing it right, you're not even thinking about gender. Correct. Yeah. Right? But instead, we're, yeah, yeah, guys are stoic and talk about sports or whatever. Yeah. Sports, penises. Right. No, I knocked over another vase. (laughs) And then when that happens, like a penis vase, those feelings come out as something else. And that's a slightly different topic that I'd like to bring up next season, but get into toxic masculinity. What happens when that, when you don't go to enough Coke life support groups and you end up wanting to get into fights because you don't know how to express the stuff that you're going through. Yeah. You're going to fight club it. You're going to fight club it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, I don't have an answer. I don't have a solution for this, but it's something that it gives me anxiety for so many other people. I had what I was feeling when I looked away from Park Bro. So as if I was looking away so he wouldn't think that I saw that it just ate S again right away in front of me. I was feeling anxiety on his behalf. On his behalf. Because I could feel, yeah, I mean, I was feeling empathy. Um, And that's why I wanted to bring it up is anxiety has so much to do with all of this. The anxiety of being vulnerable. The anxiety of being vulnerable, of spotlight, of everybody's watching me. I better be the toughest version of myself that I can possibly be. And I mean, if if you and I know anything, it's that owning your foibles makes you uh, m- invariably more entertaining to other people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we are case example number one of why stubbing your toe humor is funny. <laughs> oh yeah. my God, I stepped on a rake. Yeah, so many rings. Um, and why was there a pie at the end of the rink? That's, <laughs> it's not even sanitary. I think I think the lesson for me is it's an evolving lesson. And I go back to that, like remembering where my dad was the first time I saw him cry and mm. how emblazoned that was on my memory that it made me super conscious of the first time my son saw me cry. Oh, wow. Right. I was just really aware that I was creating a memory memory for him that he would he just it would be years before he actually was able to reflect on huh. on the merit of that experience in his life and what does me being vulnerable mean to others to you know in this case my kids yeah but in you know in 
in i i think there's a broader lesson which is just like the how do we learn to be with one another at times of vulnerability because it's deeply disconcerting if you're not used to it if you're not like if you don't practice it like sitting with somebody in grief or fear or sadness is hard work it's hard to do and it's it can cause that sort of like anxiety to well up that i don't know what to do right now i don't know what to do what do you need you need a washcloth do you need a bucket of ice like what do you want you know is a bucket of ice a thing? <laughs> what was the, That's usually what, what they... Do you think, yeah. What do you think I was thinking about there? <laughs> well, g- generally when like, if you're <laughs> if you're a man and your wife is in labor, they send you out for hot towels and a bucket of ice <laughs> in Maybe order to that's help. that's right. Yeah. So that's, I just conflated, you know, male anxiety and vulnerability with a woman being pregnant. Yeah. And, I'm and so broken. Maybe a cocktail. <laughs> We're not exactly <laughs> so sure. broken. So um, I'm I'm glad that we brought this up. I just because this is the last sort of segment of this season, and this really gets to the heart of so much about what this podcast is about. The masthead has always been to learn about it, laugh about it, and love it, whatever it is, and, and deli meats. <laughs> But the idea is together, being open, being vulnerable, that's going to be the answer for so many things in life, I think. You just will feel more belonged. Um, Let the light shine in about anxiety, about grief, about all of that, um, and include other people in it. And I think that's the answer. You're you're just a real up with people kind of guy today. Well, uh, just let the light shine in, dabda. Together forever. And never to part, everybody. <laughs> Together forever, we do. Because don't you know that Pete and I want to be together forever with you? Dabbed up! Your woman tried to do her best. Every time your best friend Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode and for this season, season six in the bag. Pete, can you believe it? I can't believe it. No one can believe it. Hey, you know what else you can believe, though? This week's tune is Things That Make You Go Hmm by Roy Young. Take a hike, CNC factory. (laughs) Become a panic pal and join us for our member episodes during the break at whatsthatsmell.net. Until next season, I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. Thank you so much for downloading. We will be back next season. What's that smell?